Okay, so right. Perfect. Welcome everybody to the world's greatest podcast. Yes. <laughs> it is actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and how do you figure, Tom? What, what makes it? What makes it the world's greatest podcast? Because we're always coming from left field, you know, and having a unique and completely crazy perspective to everything. We're in the parallax universe. And and actually, we try to have some fun. I think fun is that what's missing, you know, in all the, you know, discourse and the debates and Internet and Facebook and Twitter. And just to have some fun and to riff a bit and to explore new areas, you know. Yeah, I I just finished the Beatles thing, which you probably, you know, devoured in a minute. And and, you know, this is what is most uh, remarkable about them is their entire project is fooling around. It's like, right. That's all they do is fool around. Like the whole, the whole, the whole, like, it's like eight hours of them fooling around. Have you seen it, Cadell? The, what, 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 uh, you're referring to a Beatles documentary? Yeah, 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 there's a new Beatles documentary, which is like eight hours of them in the studio. And it was, it was, uh, it was, you know, a super, uh, it was like produced by, by the guy who did, uh, you know, the Lord of the Rings and they, they remastered all the songs and, and there's all these sort of new, this new material, you know, uh, um, I, I've only seen the, I've only seen the previews for it, but I haven't watched the, the thing in itself. And, uh, yeah, I got I got the sense that they're just really playful, at least in the in the clips you you see, and and maybe at that time because, um, yeah, there's I mean, there's of a, course they fall apart, right? Yeah, yeah, they fall apart because they're living in in pure chaos almost. Yeah, like, like they lost their manager, they lost their daddy at some point, right. and, and in, in the film they're looking for a daddy. Oh, that's like, hilarious. They're, 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 they can't, they're looking for a new manager, and Paul McCartney takes over the daddy position, and he's not comfortable with it. And John's kind of like, uh, you know, totally in the back, you know, kind of like being very detached. And Ringo's feeling like uh, nobody loves him. I'm not Ringo. Uh, Harrison's feeling like nobody loves him. And and um, <laughs> and, and Ringo's like, um, you know, Ringo's like uh, just blasé. <laughs> but, the, but, you know, but the, so they're in this chaotic soup and then they make all this music. Right. And then, you know, that's the end of them. Now, what, what's that. so great? about this is that you know the, the guys were just 25 26 or something and already at the end of their career when they're making this you know this film you know there's two albums uh, let it be and uh, abbey road i think no and all the 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 great albums they're you know uh, laying behind them and that's amazing to me how like 26 year olds you know just do that you know yeah, I think it's an interesting thing about art. I mean, it's it's almost undeniable, right? That like the greatest art and the greatest uh, music, even of the greatest musicians ever, are are usually produced when they're in their twenties. Uh, and I, when I think about when I think about my favorite musicians or the greatest musicians that have um, you know uh, risen to the 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 greatest heights during my life. Um, even the ones that continue producing music in their thirties and forties and and fifties, usually their best work is, is in their twenties or like the most revolutionary or the most, so why is that in your most opinion? revolutionary? Yeah. Maybe not the best, like in terms of, because in, in the art world, the Picassos and stuff, they're, they're great when they're 80, you know? And uh, like, like, it, I guess it's just the form. I think the music form is very intense and youthful, uh, certainly popular music. 
yeah we can just explore why that why that might be um um also it would be interesting to talk about this uh the framing of music and the role of of the daddy or the role of the father would be yeah. fun to also also riff on because yeah. i think like there's a few ideas that come to mind in in that context as well and i and i didn't know much about the I don't know much about the Beatles relationship to the father or the, the, you know, the, the, the elder figure who's organizing them basically. Yeah. I mean, they had a few, Brian Epstein Epstein died. So, so, uh, so, and that, and at that point they stopped playing live and they kind of went into this like chaotic internal space and took all this LSD and, you know, did their psychedelic stuff. So in, in a way, they went into the, they went from the father to the mother, like, you know, because they had a sort of strict discipline, I think, in the beginning of their career in, in some ways. And then when the father figure disappeared, they went into this sort of chaotic creative soup, um, which, you know, wasn't sustainable, obviously. There was yeah. once a study that Peterson uh, uh, mentioned that, You know, it was something like reverse engineering the life of geniuses. And so, that, you know, some people looked at the biographies of people that we consider geniuses. And so lots of them had, you know, uh, were orphans or were missing a father figure in life. And so, and Peterson said, yeah, if you want to produce a genius, so let's, let's just kill the, the, the parents before the age of six, because that will create such a trauma that, you know, they have this impulse to be like super creative and, and whatever. And maybe they have to reconstruct the world. Yeah, yeah. Because and, the and world Lennon's father actually them. left, or <clears throat> I don't know if he died, but I think he left the family when he was, you know, I think like four or something or five. And that I always found that very interesting, you know, the connection between, you know, the missing father or the missing parents and creative genius. Mm-hmm. I think the the crucial thing here is not to, um, well, to be aware of the, retroactivity of the story so what like what that would mean is like um you know you see a genius um he didn't have a father figure therefore the father the missing father figure right. is the cause of the genius so it's like the retro because like the, the, mm. the obverse to that is like so you have the genius with the missing father figure and then what you don't see are the thousands of guys who don't have a father figure and aren't geniuses yeah yeah sure mm. but there's a crisis right there has to be some sort of yeah yeah. i'm not denying i'm not denying that i'm just just saying like that it's not a deterministic that if you have a a missing father figure therefore uh, you'll become a genius no no and i think that the the but but i do think that there's some utility here in thinking about how the subject uses the absence of paternal structure um, to create identity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think there's something there. Yeah. And does that mean that he's creating a sort of, he's, he's creating those structures that are lacking in his life. It's like, yes, it's almost, this is also a masculine thing as well. It's like one of the reasons why most artists are masculine because they don't give birth to babies. Right. In a way, you know, and, and there's this yes. expression by Lao Tzu that, that, that the, the, the sage gives birth to himself. Yes, I love um, that. And there's something about that which, which has to do with the artistic process as well. And also yeah, there's no competition I... to the father, you know. And What's so that? there's like unrestricted, 
volition or will that can just manifest like from from the positive perspective you know because mm -hmm. you don't have to compete with your father figure you know to find your way in the world you just you're just placed within that world and can do whatever you want that's the story of my 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 adolescence in fact <laughs> really it's because i played in a band and i you know i listened to the beatles and I, you know it's like there was no father figure there so i had a lot of freedom right uh, i mean my father was there but but he wasn't around you know so he wasn't there telling me you know go to law school or whatever so so i i had a lot of chaos and freedom in my early so that you know when you no, say because, that, no i think it's always it's always of, trauma and always possibility isn't it Kadel? i mean yeah. you know Well, I think like I just read a, I just read a, so I just read a paper um, that was talking about the primal trauma of birth. Um, right. You know, that birth is the, you know, birth is a trauma. Although like the, 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 what the paper was pointing out was the paradox of this is that pointing out that the primal trauma is birth is like um, seeing a burning building and saying that lamp started it. You, you mm. know, like it doesn't do it. Like the the building's still burning, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, like pointing out that we. I mean, were you born. can't find the first cause of something. Like it, it's maybe futile to go around and try to reify the cause of. Right. That's of something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the point. Mm -hmm. Is yeah, it, it, it. it's like, but I do think that there is some utility in in being able to think. What would it have been like to be in the womb? And that that was the whatever it was like qualitatively to be in the womb, that is sort of the emotional state that people are wrestling with the absence of. Mm -hmm. But but it yeah, there's total unity or whatever. Uh, yeah, but yeah. it doesn't. But it doesn't help the fact the building's still burning. <laughs> like, right. What are you going to do? Yeah. Well, again, we could also talk about how, you know, pop music tends to self-destruct itself, right? There's all the suicide and, and that, but also it just, it just loses its spirit very young, you know, in the last, uh, and, and, and that's like all years. of rap music and all of pop music and oh, is like that. Uh, um, and, and there's, there's a, I guess this Alexander's adultification, there's not in the culture, there's not a, a, a way to go, go to become an adult artist. I remember re reading, um, about Goethe and he had this kind of romantic self-destructive quality in his early work very attached to the mother and the artists are often very attached to the mother and that what got him beyond that into becoming a really mature artist was just a banal job just like becoming an administrator and doing daily work every day which allowed him to become a, a sort of you know who he was as an artist in the full sense, in the full like adult sense, right? right? But but people yeah. don't have that. So they burn out very easily and they don't realize they have to take on this sort of, because there's such an energy to that youth and you want to say, fuck the world, right? Yeah. Completely. Um, yeah, I think there's so many things here to comment on. Like one of the things is like in the last five years, hip hop has become the most popular art form in the United States and probably becoming the most popular art form worldwide. Just in the last um, five years, it wasn't it before that really just in the last well, five years. The, like, of course it's had an evolution, but it's just that it's statistically now the most popular in the United States, like in terms of all the like chart metrics and stuff like that it's sort of become the culturally dominant form um, but maybe that's because it has no more relevance well, i don't I just, know let me let me just let me just sorry make, to interrupt make, make, ahead, the, yeah. make the point that 
that you know since hip hop has become more pop more you know popular uh there have been a number of self-destructive deaths uh in in hip hop you know most 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 notably like um Mac Miller XX Tentacion uh there there's many many others have 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 passed away uh juice world just passed away uh, and all from the same thing all from uh drug overdoses and and the the sort of the the culminating sort of um feeling that's being sought in these in these drugs is a type of um you know fuck there's the fuck the world energy and you want fuck dad and you want to suck on your mother's tit and you want to suck on your mother's tit (laughs) that's basically what what's going on and and i just Mm -hmm. like the point you made about um you know this artist that got himself out of the desire for attachment to the mother through a mundane administrative job and that there's no model yet for how an artist becomes adultified and like yeah. the two the two examples from hip hop that I would want to give as like sort of models to sort of work with to think about this is um, Eminem and Jay Z because Eminem and Jay Z are at the ground of hip hop and they're still making music late into their fifties. Yeah, uh, and they both have radically different paths uh, to become adults. Are they still doing good stuff? Or, well, or, or in in my view, yes. Okay, well, but, there, but, yeah. But but uh, but both are very different, you know, very different characters and have and, right. ha- and have have made it to adulthood uh, in very different ways. Like, for example, um, with Eminem, he did have a, a period where he almost killed himself on drugs. Yeah. Uh, but then he went into a very strict AA program and has sort of got himself clean and then has sort of taken that next m- step of maturation. So there is some sort of like sutric, you could say, uh, technology, psychotechnology that needs to be built into the chaotic energy in order to reach that next level and hold that energy. Yeah, you know absolutely. what the joke is, Cadell? You know what the uh, what Eminem stands for, the acronym? Marshall Mathers. No, it's every mother's nice except mine. Oh, that's a bad <laughs> one. But, but, okay, I did. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know that. Uh, um, but yeah, I I only knew that it was like his his like actual real name is Marshall Mathers. So oh, right. M M N M. But uh, but 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 that's even funnier. Every it's... mother's. Every, sorry, can you repeat that? Every mother's. But uh, every every mother is nice except mine. Well, that I mean that uh, <laughs> that fits his whole person. That's, that's him, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's, it's it's so interesting though because his entire career, if you study the sort of signifiers of the music, I mean, it's it's all about a battle with the the the, the mother. Right. And and it's a it's a it's about a battle with the mother and it's about the struggle of becoming the man or becoming the father. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. It's it's really interesting psychologically. Yeah, but is he a genius? Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean I th- I think I mean Doesn't he, he, hard, had more, hard, he had more he had more words is, in his vocabulary than any other uh, you know, artist I think I think something it, like I that. Think, I mean, I I would want to, I don't necessarily know if I have the philosophical, you know, sort of um, technical understanding of objective genius, but in terms of like l- pure lyricism, 
I don't think you could find a better modern lyricist in in hip hop. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> I mean, mm. if we're just if we're just going by technical ability, if you study like the most technical, like even songs, better than LP or what? Sorry, the guy from uh, uh, Run the Jewels. You know, the, right? The, the... Yeah. So LP and Killer Mike, like they're both like if you take if you take. Um, I mean, there are some mathematical analyses of who's the most technical rapper, like who like has the largest vocabulary. And, and when you do those analyses, it's uh, actually ASAP Rock who comes out on top in terms right. of in, in, in terms <laughs> of who, these guys. in terms who's of that? who's that? Uh, he's uh, a, so he's a, a, a rapper from Minneapolis or that area. Uh, and he's associated with uh, certain other rappers from that area, like atmosphere and stuff. ASAP rock. If you look him up his it's spelled a E S O P uh, R O. All right. Okay. Like it's based on A yeah. It's based on ASAP ASAP's fa fables. And he's just, he's just extremely lyrical. Like he he's, he's just using, the broadest possible vocabulary to paint the vividest possible picture. And like that, that's always the, that's always the hip hop that that's appealed to me is like the storytelling hip hop, which is using a very broad vocabulary and, 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 and uh, engaged in, in almost impossible world wordplay. And, and also I really like the other thing I really like about hip hop is that um, the art of coming up with a very complex, intricate, uh, 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 you know, bar <laughs> where you couldn't have predicted it ahead, ahead of time. And it was, and it was, and it emerged in the moment, basically the, the logic of the freestyle right. where you, where you have to basically come up with something in the moment, which is like word jazz, basically it's, it's like word jazz. jazz. With, yeah. It's word jazz. And I think yeah. jazz and hip hop, obviously both coming up in predominantly African-American environments in the United States yeah. are basically, you know, the instrumental and the vocal manifestation of the same energy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's Doesn't that is. I mean, that's the energy. What all pop music comes from, isn't it? The African American thing. It all comes from there. Even the Beatles and stuff. Even this white, more white music, if you could say, call it that, still comes has that basis in in um, in like uh, in rhythm and blues and and and, and slavery and intense suffering and, and and this kind of like diaspora or loss of self and trying to find identity and the extreme violence of that situation. I totally agree. And I think yeah. that I, I think that it's 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 super interesting, like to think about um, the, the basically African diaspora culture. Um, what a strange situation they were in. <laughs> what a strange identity situation they were in. Um, and and the types of music and culture that, that they really had to go to the void point of being. Because like they were ripped from their organic, traditional <laughs> cultures, of course, and then yeah. they were embedded in a culture where they were sort of systematically demonized as the the other, uh, and sort of um, prevented access from any institutional frameworks that could lift them from nothing. 
and mm-hmm. and, th- and that's where all the music and the <laughs> of course <laughs> and, the- and that that is america's basic you know contribution to the world in my opinion i mean because art is the biggest contribution to the world if it's art that is durable and lasts and that you know so um Abs- yeah it's so interesting and i don't think that this has been thought deeply fully like the, the 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 what you're saying here like that's that's america's biggest contribution to the world and art and it comes from the the slave dynamic and it comes from the absolute nothingness and it comes from this racial line i don't think this has been really fully thought like and and i, I the, actually well here's something like the zombie culture comes from slavery zombies this, you know zombies were that, slaves at one point like the zombies were slaves the original zombie from haitia haitia were people who were slaves um actually they had slave masters if you look at early pictures of zombies so so like almost everything in culture has in, in, in pop culture, like in the 20th century, I think has its roots in that. I'm sorry to interrupt, Tom, you wanna No, I was just saying, you know, Thaddeus Russell talked a lot about this, you know, about the fault mm-hmm. lines between, mm-hmm. you know, the black American people, you know, the ones that fall, fall more on the line of Martin Luther King and the Protestants, because the ideal of, you know, of, of Martin Luther King was to produce a white Protestant black man, you know? And, and so like with, with certain manners, like some, somebody like uh, Obama. And then you have yeah. like the other, you know. <laughs> that's not know. controversial what you're saying there, Tom. <laughs> no, no, but no, that's, and then you have, you have, you know, the mm. jazz black Americans, you know, the hip hops, you know, the true American culture, you know, that's where, where they are from, the, the true free art comes from. I think, I think we have to juxta, I don't know. I mean, I think we have to like, juxtaposed that the MLK vision and the the Malcolm X vision right like these were mm-hmm. opposite visions and neither of them is true you know like like both of them needed to be reconciled in something completely different which I think was hip-hop politics right well in a way I, that's why I think art goes beyond this ideology I mean, yes. you would call maybe you would call it ideology I don't know in the Zizekian way but but art goes beyond this sort of polarized ideology uh, and so it, it gets it gets deeper into the heart of things I agree it goes yeah. right to the thing yeah it goes right to the thing and that's why it's, it's interesting because because it can include the pathic right I mean exactly and I think yeah. that the MLK and the MLK and the Mar- uh, and the and the uh, Malcolm, X. Malcolm X thing this this was a particular politicized pathos, but it wasn't the pathos itself. It was sort of more reflective of their idiosyncratic pathos, maybe mm-hmm. like, and, 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 it, and it had a certain political truth to it, but like the ultimate political vision of their projects was not the truth. Like, mm-hmm. for example, Malcolm X wanted to like build it like basically like a separatist state, like a black state. Right. Like, yeah. a, like he 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 had basically like I don't know if you call it a Zionist project, but something like that inspiration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, and that MLK wanted that the uh, black folks are so well integrated and educated that they can they can be white. white. They can right. Yeah, so there's an extreme white. of total Both integration. Of false. Yeah, yeah. Both of those are false visions. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The, the the false visions are the extreme of integration, right? And then also the extreme of uh, let's say uh, 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 polarization or whatever. Yeah, I think that they both had different extreme forms of integration where MLK had the extreme form of integration, which was a separation. 
or sorry, the extreme form of integration, which was an inclusion into white society, mm-hmm. and and uh, uh and and Mark and Malcolm X had the extreme form of integration, which was a separation from white society. Right. Mm-hmm. So where does like the where guy, we would have know, a to, we would have a black butterfly, uh, <laughs> the guy from from Compton, like what's what's his name again? To pimp a butterfly, the, the oh Kendrick the, Lamar, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, I think Ken, I, to me, yeah, Kendrick Lamar is probably the most important hip hop figure of the last decade. Because he, he, you can't put him in either those t- uh, two categories. You know, there's some true think o- authenticity can. there. Hmm? I do, yeah, it's it would be hard to put him in either of those two categories. Um, yeah, he's definitely not a simplistic political figure. Um, but he doesn't yeah. shy away from politics. But doesn't as well. shy away. It from, seems like he has. He's he has this. He 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 expresses the inner world or something as well. Uh, so he's like where hip hop moves into the inner world as well as the outer world like yeah i would that makes any sense like he talks about his experience you know on a on a, on a more um often personal level in hip-hop guys who are just boasting and you know yeah so for like for that i would recommend if people are like interested because I, I i do think this should be studied like like i mean i think it's worth like st- st- studying i mean this is coming from someone who kind of a neurotic with that but um I, I i would point i would point towards the song you just just the letter u by kendrick lamar all oh, right mm-hmm. um uh, mm-hmm. in order for that to for the introspection it's a it's an amazing song uh and it's basically about him wrestling with his own alcoholism and like basically the the, the chorus of the lyrics goes loving it just repeats loving you is complicated loving you is complicated you know, and he's basically just wrestling in the video with mirror images of himself uh, and then goes on to endless self-reflection about the paradoxes of fame and the paradoxes of um, his own sort of intimate relationships and, 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 and just ripping himself apart to his, to his void point. And I think that that's, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's why he's such a unique artist it's so it's so it's so opposite of the stereotypical image of hip-hop in terms of like braggadocio and stuff like that right well i was thinking about at the beginning you know before we had this conversation we started talking about the beatles and how the beatles had this insane playfulness you know and they're the beatles are almost like they're full of lightness or something right they have this intense lightness to them light there's like it's like it's all it's all hippie love and light stuff in a way but it's very you know it's very smart at the same time it's it's not uh cheesy but then after the hippie after after the hippie era you know and after the beatles the number one band in 1970 was led zeppelin and they were like they were like into you know satanism and the really dark shit like they were <laughs> it was like it's like the light has to become dark again and then there's so there's this always this this um movement and culture between the sort of psychedelic um affirmative um you know freedom and then and then and then there's this like you know no, no. <laughs> it's not that and then there's this whole uh, the, the, into sort of satanism and and uh um and darkness and and uh you know and again and again i i think it, it, this is still within the youth culture this is this is what youth culture does it doesn't integrate those two and get to the next um the next stage 
it's like heavy metal music. It's like I can understand why all these guys are into heavy metal music, but it has heavy metal music has no aesthetic whatsoever. It's like it's anti-aesthetic. It's like all aesthetic, but it has there's no beauty. And it. it's like I don't know how to say that, but it's totally like fully, <laughs> at least for you. <laughs> for me, I think heavy metal music. I, I, Owen's going to be angry at me for, for saying this, but it, 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 it's, it's utterly aesthetically zero, but it's but it's powerful at the same what? time. Right. It's like, totally I, masculine without integrating the feminine. You can put it that way. Well, I think that's closer to the. I think that's I think that's I would say that's closer to the point. My I'm not an expert in heavy metal, but my my brother, who uh, I know very well, uh, is a huge metalhead. Um, And so I have a lot of contact with heavy metal through him. And I would definitely say that there's a strong aesthetic in heavy metal. But I would and I have confirmed this with Owens. I talked to him about this. Is that. Heavy metal was at one time an accurate representation of both the violence and the sexuality in masculinity, but that Owen says that it's lost the sexual element and it's just gone violent. I don't think it ever had a sexual element. He said in the beginning, it's just about, it's it's got a, it's got a very base sexual element, like caveman kind of sexual element, but it doesn't have any sophistication in that area. That's why it doesn't reach the, that's why no women women in the whole culture. There's zero. Because it was just the polling uh, between um, metal musicians, uh, like who invented metal music. And it was actually like the consensus is that the Beatles song, I want you, she's so heavy. It's the first metal song. And that is a deeply sexual song as well. So the DNA is in there. Oh, yeah. But by the time it got to Black Sabbath and, st- and stuff like that, and I, Zeppelin were very sexual as well. No, no, I agree with that. Like the early, the early metal. Like I think the Roots of Metal is, is Roots of Metal has a powerful sexuality to it and an androgynous sexuality to it and a, and a real beauty. But the later metal, it just goes into this gothic yes. dark darkness that has no, it, it doesn't... Um, it's uh it's as you i don't know purely negative or something yeah i i that's my 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 reading of the contemporary metal culture is that it it has lost a certain touch with with the feminine which can sort of be just reflect i mean we don't have to think about this ideologically i think you just need to watch i think you just need to observe what women are listening to and where women are going and what type of masculine men women are gravitating towards and that's the truth of the thing yeah. Well, I used to like this band. Like I'm from Canada. You're from, you, you know, Rush, right? When I was like 10, <laughs> 11, 12, I used to love Rush because it was really complex music, right? The, the guy, the drummer is like, he, he, he has like these drum set all around them. They, they make these incredible complex. Uh, so it was really geeky, right? Like super masculine, geeky music, entirely autistic music, but, but very, very attractive to a prepubescent boy. You know, but I don't think it then. But then later, when you get into puberty and you get interested in music, you you go for the more like um, you're less interested in just technocratic kind of music. And you get more into the like, you know, the blues, which is more simple and basic. And it's like I'm suffering here and we're in my woman. And, you know, so anyway. Mm. What I what I always, you know, after watching the, the Beatles documentary and to bring all these points we're talking about a little bit together, you know, you, we're talking about truth and, you know, it's like, for me, what's what's so interesting at the, with the Beatles documentary is like that the, the archetypes they inhabiting and expressing and embodying are so true and so mm-hmm. on point. And mm-hmm. so it's like when, you know, it's, and th- this is especially with young artists, 
you know, when they are like in this in this phallic energy, when they just embody, you know, their truth. And so you have like these four guys. And I, you know, for me, it's like for, Ringo was always like a guy you, you you could drink a beer with. He's he's not that far out there. He's just a normal guy. And then you have like like Harrison, who has like enormous talent, way more talent than you know most of the people. Then you have like this guy uh, uh, McCartney, who is basically an Ubermensch, you know, with his talent. It's like he's so far out. But then you have Lennon, and he he crossed the boundary he's on the other side there's always something strange about him because he's so otherworldly in his you know he's not accessible like he's not really all. there or something yeah no he's not yeah. accessible it's like he's so he's you know so opaque you know he's he's you know you know what i mean and so maybe that has something to do with his trauma as well but at the same time you have like this four different archetypes um which which harmonize you know the, the new four apostles let's say who harmonize so perfectly and create this you know this this group ghost or whatever and and i think that's that's the interesting thing if an artist if a young artist can do this you know and and find his true mm -hmm. true archetype or something you know his true nature in a way i feel they failed at the individuation process like after the beatles Right, there had to be an individual. They were John was trying to be John, and Ringo right. didn't make anything. You know, he was just the drummer and a few super group things. And oh no, he did a lot of stuff. He did a lot of stuff, but 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 he stopped becoming a part of the Geist uh, of the times. They stopped right. because John Lennon's first albums, maybe, but but um, well, I was listening to something about the, it had to do with drugs. Like Lennon was into um, heroin. Right. So that's this otherworldly heroin thing, which you find in Kurt Cobain and the Velvet Underground. And, and then and then uh, McCartney was in, into cocaine. So so his, you know, he, he was this bright sort of like, yeah, yeah. Cartney's oh. thing was it was, okay. was cocaine. And uh, George Harrison's th thing was like, um, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, just sort of mystical New Age spirituality. And they, they kind of they all checked out in, in those directions in a way or they were all inspired by it. I'm not oh, well, being moralistic mm -hmm. about the drugs, but 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 they all sort of checked out with that at the same time. I don't know about I don't know about Ringo and drugs, but maybe, maybe he was a drinker. Maybe he was a drinker. Maybe he was the guy at the bar. Yeah, he's probably was the guy drinking, you know, a little bit too much. <laughs> anyway. So you can you can you can you can you get these archetypes you're talking about, Tom, you can probably map them onto the, you know. The, the substances that they were doing and yeah but i didn't get the impression from from the documentary that they were like doing drugs there you know yeah do you? I, oh i i think that, yes but not they were they were in control of that they were they were not they were still being inspired by the drugs not being <laughs> destroyed by them they were in this the, the creative uh, you know the creative cycle right but do you do think, Cadell, that you can, you know, map archetypes or, or, you know, something like a true self to really good rap artists? Like, like, what is that? What makes them a good rap artist? Well, I don't know about. I like. I, I mean, we're talking about I, truth, I wanna, you know. And, and I don't want to be. Uh, I don't want to be too uh, analytical, but I, I just I don't know about the the whole framing of the the archetypes and the true self. 
I'm not I'm not sure I'm not sure how to to work with this language right um because like I mean I guess I could get into the into like sort of my psychoanalytic view on it but um like the whole notion of of a true self you know is 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 to is to me difficult to pin on a I don't, I don't know where, I don't know where to pin that to a certain archetypal form. Let's say. I think Bob or, says or something. Or even, or even what, what, or even what true self means in some sense. Bob says something very interesting in that matter. He says that your true self is that what comes easy to you, what is effortlessly, and where, where you can, you know, produce outstanding results with. Primary efforts. archetype, he says. Yeah, yeah. yeah primary yeah. archetype, mm -hmm. yes. And so that's, you know, and that's very interesting because it's a very pragmatic approach to things. And then you have like a secondary archetype where you can also be exceptional, but you have to really put effort into it, you know? And mm -hmm. so I, I would use it in that kind of way. And then the question is, what are you producing? What are you doing, actually? You know, and I, I, would, I would approach, a, a, you know, a term like true self's you know, in, 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 you know, in this way, let, let me, let me just work it lightly then. So the que the question is, do, do these, do these are, is, is there sort of an archetypal logic to, um, to the hip hop landscape? Yeah, well, how to, how authentic, how true are those people, you know, and your, how, how embodied uh, are they and how, you know, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense yeah. to us. Well, I think hip hop kind of doesn't have a lot of archetypes. It has like one or, you know, it has a few, but, but it doesn't have, it doesn't have a, maybe it does. Maybe it has a rich array of personality types, uh, which yeah, express I, a different form. I'm wrong, actually. I, I take that back. I, I'm I think, not an expert. I think there is, I think yeah. there is a, a richer, a richer array of, of, of characters and, and, and different types of. Um, so, so what, is your objection I, to the archetypes that 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 they're not novelty? There's they're they're all unique or something. There's no novelty about. There's not like this platonic form of 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 Snoop Dogg or something, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that he embodies. Yeah, He's just like Snoop Dogg. Or, I, so I'm we, I'm I'm biased. I, I don't I don't deny that certain general forms can be categorized after the fact. Let's say, but like. My tendency is to view the idiosyncrasy of the subject, like to find the truth in the idiosyncrasy of the subject, like, like for, for a Snoop Dogg or for a Jay-Z or for an Eminem, like they're singular. Like the, 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 there was no such thing before they existed. Like the truth of them is found in their idiosyncrasy. And then after the fact, we might be able to put them into a general category. Oh, this is great, because this is what I've been thinking about in terms of some of the things you've been saying on the other podcasts. As I was like, there was, what was it? You guys were talking about, um, you guys were talking about, oh, and uh, I can't remember the, uh, about, about whether, what, what was it that there, you know, about sexuality or something and how, you know, and you were talking about how people need to get their sexuality kind of like, together or something that that's well and just then, to and, be, then, and then and no I, just yeah. let me finish and then and then you can respond and then um and then we're and then they were saying oh no you'll never get your sexuality together so there's what i'm saying is there's this imperfection and idiosyncratic 
yeah thing but there's also an absolute there's also in a way there's an absolute because because the absolute is 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 the form that emerges which which has us it's not just it's not it's not random it's it's not like the postmodern deconstruction completely of the self there is a sort of um, you know, there are people who are like in the five personality traits who are more agreeable and there are people who are more uh, disagreeable. There, there are people who are colder. There are people who are more warm there. You know, there's all it, of these like like you, you can you can uh, you can work with archetypes. They're not absolutes, but you can, but, but, but they're dynamic, I would say, expressions which have a certain kind of uh, logic to them. Yeah, I mean, I think. Like, I, I think the absolute is, is both. Like, so how I understand, like, the expression uh, that I've, I've mentioned a few times, like, the, the absolute is substance and also subject, is, like, the archetype is, like, a substance and the, the subject is irreducibly idiosyncratic. So, like, you got to work, you got to work with both. But, like, what I've seen, and, and, like, this is sort of what I've taken away from my relationship with a with a Jungian analyst who's come to my, my Freudian unconscious courses is that if you, if you have a problem in your subjectivity and you try to identify with an archetype that this can prevent contact with idiosyncratic dimensions of yourself, which are not contained in that archetype. That's James Hillman's critique also he was a Jungian and he said that absolutely is you can't reify the archetypes yeah don't reify to such, the an, to, to such an, uh, an extent or, or you're and you end up turning them into um you know uh, a prisons of some sort so exactly so, so like yeah. basically what I try to work with is like the mess and the cracks that can't be put into categories mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. you you work with the mess and the cracks which are uncategorizable which are the source of potential new novelty um, like, and, and they reflect sort of your own historical crack. Like there's no other Andrew Sweeney. There's no other Cadell last. That's just my crack is my crack kind of thing. And then, um, if you're working with that material authentically and you're speaking, whatever's coming out of that crack after the fact, you might be able to put me into a category of some kind, but, but let's work with sort of like the, like, that's my view is like, let's work with the raw material first. And like, I, I think that that sort of, also, you could say in the genesis of hip hop is like that the the archetypes that emerged from hip hop um, are not like reified eternal forms. They one they emerged in the crack of the locations where the signifiers were repeating themselves. Then afterwards, we can move in and categorize it. But even if we go in afterwards and categorize it, you're not going to have eternal perfect forms which cover the whole space because hip hop is now emerging and, and transforming in many different locations. Yeah. So new on, cracks, on the other hand, new cracks and there's new identities and there's new possibilities. Maybe there are, but on the other hand, I think that once the the archetype is sort of exhausted or whatever, like, well, my feeling is like, I don't know. I, I don't know enough about hip hop, so I shouldn't be speaking, but you said it's becoming the most popular art form in the world. And for me, that, that, that shows that it's actually, it's lost its, its relevance. Um, um, maybe I'm, maybe, maybe, maybe it is, a, maybe people will keep doing it and there'll be great hip hop artists and stuff like that, but it's lost. It's sort of, um, it's lost its relevance in the, in the, in the Geist. There'd have to be something else that would, we'd have to find a whole new novelty or a whole new thing. It, it could, it could, be, it could be, I think. 
Maybe I'm wrong. Well, I don't know. It, it, it could be. I, I think that like what I see in, in, in hip hop music is kind of like this. Um, like it's a weird quality. I don't know if, again, I don't know if I'm right, but it's a weird quality of like this infinitely elastic nature, meaning that like it can take many, 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 many forms uh, mm-hmm. and it can interact with and it can sort of sublate, I think is the right word many different genres of music so like i'm seeing like like hip-hop in country music and like hip-hop like in heavy metal and like hip-hop in rock music and hip-hop in pop music so it's like kind of like this infinitely elastic form that can go into all the other genres and kind of like reinvent them but that would be variation that would not be a novelty you know we're talking about you know novelty that that original impulse that fills the void you know with a with an you know unique yeah. imprint let's say well i know? think that i think the ori- the original novelty is that in it's in the use of the spontaneous word like if i was to extract sort of the general principle away from even the notion of hip hop or away from any of the any of the genres of music it's like the spontaneous use of the word that's how i tried to, that's the lesson i take from it in my own career and my own writing is is to is like i'm coming on here with no pre-programmed knowledge i'm just spontaneously using the word yeah we're rapping right now yeah we're rapping right now so that's to me where the the novelty is and i think that that principle can reinvent philosophy i think it can reinvent psychology it can reinvent many things maybe community but, but it doesn't need to have an electronic beat behind it or be no <laughs> you know well, it could um yeah it, it could or i could not yeah it could not um i mean i guess i'm thinking of i'm thinking of the fact that it just gets boring after a while there's like hard hard beats and bass well that's just anyway never that's a judgment that's probably the wrong because i'm, I'm a it, 50 it, if i'm a 50 year old and i probably grew up before hip-hop was really like i i you know i got the beginnings of it public enemy and and uh, uh nwa and I, I i liked it it was alive it was like fantastic but i was already past the point where i was a adolescent you know rebel that needed needed to say fuck you to dad so <laughs> so i didn't i mean i i didn't need that so i so i, I those are not my models of 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 uh, of you know of of art but 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 i but i so so i but i'm, I, I'm you know i'm totally open I, to i think i think what would be interesting to think is the like and maybe even we're getting more we're getting more to the core like i feel like we're getting more to the core like so one i would say the core in this spontaneous signifier which is totally explorable in many different fields the other thing is what is the difference between oedipal and post-oedipal music because like oedipal music would be like the fuck you to dad and like i want the mom Post-Oedipal, yeah, right. Yeah, Good. and then like, what's a post-Oedipal music like? And I, I and like, I guess in European context, like what I see in Europe is like this uh, is like electronic music, like and people like getting together at like raves or festivals or like something, and like it's just like this. It's it's like this music with no word. It's just this. It's just like. But like, isn't I that just, the the, the teat? Of the mother, the, the, isn't that silly? Yeah, yeah that was my that was my reaction. Maybe, that, yeah, maybe maybe that's even more of a regression. It's 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 but because it doesn't. Uh, yeah, because it doesn't. Um, 
It doesn't Maybe individuate as it doesn't individuate as everything. It's just a, it's just a it's just <laughs> sensation, right? Yeah, that's so right. I think it it doesn't individuate. That's the word. Like I've never really resonated with it, but like when I observe it, like from an anthropological point of view, I think it is this situation where it's like this pre-individuation. Like everyone's right. just like this movement yeah, exactly. in, mm-hmm. in 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 sound before signifiers. Exactly. Yeah, or it's mm-hmm. a pagan religion or something. You, you know, it's just it's just um, what did what did Levi Strauss call it? Call it the sort of I don't know, being, being, being totally absorbed in, in, yes. in this, uh, what did he call it? And people will take like MDMA and ketamine and stuff yeah. and they'll just go and friggin' get lost in the, in the sea of naked bodies or. But that's colors. music. But, but then there's the visual arts and the visual arts seem to, they, they seem to reach their peak around 70. Like if you look at, if we're in France, if you look at all the great artists, you know, and the impressionists and the cubists and, and the, you know, and, Although those guys were, were those guys those guys became powerful around seventy or sixty or <laughs> you know so uh, so so I wonder why that is I wonder why and, the visual arts what about so sound much the same same with literature no and it's also yeah because you can't and also I guess philosophy you, you I guess you can't be too young to write a book of philosophy and you you can't be too young to you can but there are great novels and I think that the youthful artist is kind of like a shaman he he kind of he kind of uh, takes the intensity of, of the culture. He doesn't understand it yet. He doesn't articulate, he doesn't have a, a language to understand it yet. So if Rimbaud wrote this incredible revolutionary poetry at age 17, it's not like he understood what he was doing. He was just a medium or something. Um, so, so, well, so great the, philosophy from young guys, but it's not, it is not the wisdom of, you know, of older guys. Yeah. It's the know? wisdom, so, I so guess. I mean, that, like, like Wittgenstein, he made, you know, he wrote that book very young, the, the Tractatus. And he ag- regretted it. So did Heidegger. They thought mm. they wrote it too young. Mm. And there's, so there's this, the per, you know, the per artifice, the, the, the Peter Pan, the energy of youth. And then there's a sex that is, is, is a senile old man. And, and uh, so how do you keep this pure uh, youthful energy like Picasso did, you know, as you move into, into, into adult, adulthood? And, really and, not, and not become and not become sort of hollowed out inside and dead and and the senex um who is who devours its his children or or you know or maybe i'm mixing that you know what's the what's the guy who devours his children the, yeah no i i understand what you're i understand what you're what you're pointing towards i think that yeah there there's there's like i think like the ultimate <laughs> Like I don't know, maybe I'm Chronos. Right. That's what I was thinking. Time not, Chronos, not, who not right. children. Sorry, Chronos. Yeah, not not maybe not. I don't know what the right word is because it's hard to language. What it's hard to language this, but it's kind of like I'm, I'm thinking about development as a fractal, where like like I have the I have the the infant inside of me I have the child inside of me I have the teenager inside of me I have all the different developmental levels inside of me how do I include all of them inside of me yeah. but each of them sort of retroactively changed by my current developmental level like yeah. so like the like okay when I'm 70 and I'm say I'm a matured philosopher how do I express the maturity of that 70 year old while still holding all the other layers of me with young women 
<laughs> yes maybe yes. but maybe that's i i think maybe that that's, that's but do you guys I, I always... know that the uh, etymology of the word jazz and jizz is the same oh that's hilarious of course it yeah. is oh that's hilarious yeah because you know because you know we're because we're riffing about you know what you were talking about hip-hop and you know let that emerge in the moment that's what happens with jazz and with jizz and you know and it's like jizz, yeah. yeah no it's perfect <laughs> I'm glad you brought us back to the, the, the to, to sex topic because you know we might have lost the thread if we didn't. No, no, no. I, I also, but but I think this is interesting, like as a no. model to think about it, because like also I think we could also think about the the freestyle as the spontaneous signifier as like this coming, right? Like like and, and like and, there and, we go. And, like, there it, we go. It, yeah. in, in, ejaculation. In, yeah. 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 That's what that rap is like a kind of ejaculation. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> but it's it's like, but it, literally in a Lacanian sense, like the enjoyment of language is kind of like the idea. I think, if I understand it correctly, is like you can enjoy your place in language at the same or a higher level than your enjoyment of of masturbating if you sort of do it right. Like if if you're if you're really speaking connected to yourself, let's say, then like. In that sense, like if you study the evolution of freestyle, it's like the origin of freestyle was very violent and conflictual. Like I'm going to rip your fucking head off, you know, like and and like the point of the freestyle was I'm going to rip this other fucker's head off. But now I see freestyle evolving into something that's more for community. Like, can we all riff off of each other? Like, can I like come up with something clever and, 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 and innovative and then you bounce off of me and say something clever and innovative. So it's becoming more like a communal thing. So it's like, it's interesting. It's like kind of like taking this violent energy and like making it pro-social. Oh, interesting. But it's it's always spontaneous, isn't it? Sorry? It's always spontaneous, isn't it? The point of a freestyle is that it should be spontaneous. So like mm. that you're you're and you're trying to say something that rhymes and you're trying to say something that's clever and and the the um the 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 reason why it's valuable is because it's so improbable or so unlikely that that, that combination of words could emerge just without any precognition right yeah well it reminds me like i mean you and alexander writing a book together so that that must be kind of like a process like that you know because you're very different minds and and so so you could be an individual artist just writing your own book by yourself and then you know and then but if you when you move into writing something with somebody else i don't know because I, 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 it's too bad Alexander isn't here because there's, he, he always says that it's tribal poesis and that's the point is, is creating this tribal poetic expression. Um, um, and, and then, but I, I always think that the, there's also the singularity, which is, is necessary as well. So I, so yes, I wonder I about that. Because, because, you know, you know, because John Lennon's is a singularity and so is, you know, I totally many of agree. the groups I like, I wouldn't want them to be just a tribal poesis. I wouldn't want them not to lose that singularity. Uh, um no, I well to me not. Maybe that's what's wrong with this this electronic music. Why it doesn't doesn't fulfill you fully? It might be a good. It's kind of masturbation because it doesn't doesn't have that singularity. Sorry, Cadell, go ahead. No, but I agree with you. 
I just I, I agree with what you're saying. And, and the way you're expressing it is that to me, you can't like I, I also think that there's that the, the, the notion of tribal poesis is an interesting notion. And I th- I do think that we have to think about our our thought and our relations in a tribal dynamic. But I also think that we need to remain very aware of our singularity and we have to be very aware of our own cut. Like yeah. that's why I was emphasizing with the idiosyncrasy of the cut. Our own cut, our own cut, our own, our own, the, the place where we're bleeding. <laughs> like back to like the, the primal trauma of birth and like the buildings on fire, like you come out of a cut. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and like the, the build, the buildings on fire. And it, but, but just because you know that you were born, that doesn't solve the problem. The building's still on fire. So I still think that like being in touch with your unique relationship to that cut is is important. And, and my only point is, is that I don't think that there's a concept or I don't think that there's a form that universally explains that. I think we have to precise, and that's a good thing, precisely that we have to address each other's cut. Mm-hmm. So, so again, so maybe this, the cut is, is, is so that the art that comes from the trauma but I, I'm not fully satisfied with that because that seems to me only half the picture. Because I think yeah, the art I, comes I, from I the trauma, so. but it also comes from the elation, the the like the wow, the the you know. So so yeah, the ecstasy. It doesn't just come from the pain. It comes. It, there is the pain, and there is the cut, and there is the you know the dark road. But there's also the ecstasy, and the. <laughs> so I think it's both. We have to have those two. It's, mm. it's how you, it's how you work. It's, it's like what I was, I think this connects back to the beginning of the conversation, because I was trying to say that you have to be aware of the retroactivity of the narrative. So like for every genius that, that didn't have a father, there's like thousands of non-geniuses that didn't have a father as well. It's kind of like how yeah. that individual worked with his cut. Like it's how that individual and like the, and like mm. in my language, it's like, the lack in the cut is simultaneously the excess of it. So it's, it's also how you're working with that, that excess it's, it's, or, or like the language you were using was the trauma and there's the, what, what was the language you were, you were using? Well, the ecstasy, uh, the ecstasy. Yeah. So the same language. So there's the trauma and the ecstasy, or I would say the lack and the, the excess. And it's sort of like how you're working with that. But like, it's always, a weird two of course always a weird two mm-hmm. yeah yeah well yeah i guess i i, I want to sort of question this traumatology view of the world uh, on some level but but i but i but i think that's that's right what you said that it's both well it's like so it's like the way i say it like when i was working for the psychedelic company was um there are people who go to psychedelics for trauma mm-hmm. and there are people who go to psychedelics because they're just interested in the mind. Right. You know, like, 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 and, and like when I first went to ayahuasca, like I wasn't looking to like recover from my trauma. I was just like, what the, what the heck is this thing? Like, I'm yeah. just, I'm just fascinated. I just want self insight. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we can't reduce everything to trauma. That's the, that's the thing. Although we are definitely, I mean, the, the birth trauma is, is definitely, it's, there's something true about that. Oh, as like, well. 
in all accounts, like uh, there was no trauma in Paul McCartney's life in, in his youth. And he was still the, you know, the, the greater musician of, of whether the best musician from the band. And so you can't. Well, he was the most, let's say, uh, well-adjusted, but I'm yeah, yeah, sure yeah. if you dig somewhere, you could find a bit of trauma, you know. Yeah, but he was raised in a, in a healthy family. Yeah. You know, in a, so there was no family drama there. It's always like weird though, like these narratives of like the the health, like like the healthy or the um, what is it, the healthy or the, I don't know, the the, bro- the broken family, troubled family. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like it's it's always weird because mm, like yeah. for example, I knew a lot of kids in university who came from rich families or who came from wealthy, like you know, on the appearance, on the surface, it looked like they were healthy families. But like, there's always, there's always weird gaps and, and there's always weird like trade-offs. Like for example, there was this one guy who had a very rich uh, doctor uh, father and, um, and this guy never developed because his dad just bought him everything. Uh, and, and like, he just ended up being in university for like 10 years and never even studied anything seriously and just had his rent paid for and just had all his food paid for. Whereas like, I was in and out in four years because I was like, I've got to pay for this myself. And I'm I'm like, I've no, I've nowhere else to go. So yeah, you had this John Lennon working class kind of like, kind of like pride or something. There's a pride there. There's like a definitely like I I come from, I come from like a, I come from like a very working class, like lower class background, whereas like a post-industrial city, like it's like the city was based on like an industrial sector from like the 50s and 60s yeah, like that, well, whole, yeah. that whole sector has been sort of like uh outsourced to to china and who, who you know wherever and yeah. so there's just basically a lot of like uh you know broken communities and dilapidated houses and like it's like the, like you you go down the main street of the city and it's just like this looks like it used to be a good city in like the fifties, but like now everything's like gone. (laughs) What I wanted to say was that it seems to me that this genius that we're talking about is completely mysterious and you can, can't reduce it to psychoanalysis though. I mean, it could come from somebody who had just the most boring dull life ever. It it could come from somebody who suffered like you wouldn't, you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't believe. I I don't think we can reduce it. I don't think we can. Let me, let me, let me say this. So like I'm doing a, and I'll also plug, I'm doing a, a a return to Freud and like, we're basically covering like everything he wrote from the beginning of his career. And we're going to go to the end. And right now we're in the year 1915. Um, But what I'm taking away from his interpretation is uh, that what transcends psychoanalysis is art. Like he, he consistently says this, like Mm -hmm. that art is not like art cannot be, he says explicitly art is not reducible psych sorry psychoanalysis cannot reduce art that psychoanalysis can partially explain uh the contents that artists work with yeah but it cannot explain what they create so there's there's Mm -hmm. basically this irreducible excessiveness of the artist um and the originality of the creation which has no pre-conceptual scaffolding right yeah and when I were always talking about this uh, many, many times about the diamond, because that's a, that's a gestalt, that's a figure that, uh, you know, in history always pops up from the Socrates, Schopenhauer, Hillman, 
to young to Jungian psychology. And you know, nobody knows what that is or how that works. Or even Peterson talks about this. You know, it's like this this figure that seems to, you know, mediate between the earthly and the, the sacred and the profane, and you know, where where artists get their you know intuitions from. And but nobody knows what that is. And and you know, but it's 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 there. Let me let me let me uh, throw out an idea. So, um, in Hegelian philosophy, there's the absolute as a triad between art, philosophy, and religion. Um, so it's like, it's basically like a triad of the absolute. And, uh, I had a debate or a discussion. Yeah. I'm talking. glad you said that. Cause I was going to put in religion, not just art from what Freud said. Yeah. Go ahead. Absolutely. Well, like, yeah. uh, well, that that's Freud and Freud was against religion. So like, I mean, Freud probably identified himself, I guess, more on the art side than the religion or the philosophy side. Um, whereas like I was having a discussion with Todd McGowan, who's a Hegelian, um, thinker. And, uh, we both identified ourselves more on the philosophy side than the art or the religion side. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was trying to think in reflections on, on, um, a recent podcast I listened to about Plato's cave, um, where the, the person who was doing the podcast was saying, scientists will always say that philosophy is good for nothing. And then mm. the philosopher should respond by saying, uh, maybe philosophy is good for nothing, but what, what can philosophy do with that nothingness? So it's like basically like flipping it on its head where it's like, it's like it has no use value or utility for the egoic individual, which is how the scientist is thinking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the transcendental nature of the philosophy or the art or the religion is kind of like um, it uses us. Right. Yeah, that's, the, I guess, the di- diamond as well, which is a sort of possession. Um, you're possessed by a spirit. It's like the Holy Spirit or something. You're like possessed I, by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Like there's while. like, I, I think like maybe like what, like the way I would frame it is like, what emerges in the idea of art, philosophy, and religion is the Holy Spirit that we need to exist, to sustain our existence beyond animal need. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was also thinking about in Buddhism, you have, the prov- you have a prov- provisional truth and you have a definitive truth, which is the absolute. And, and, and so there's all of these stages uh-huh. And and uh, uh, of growth that that occur, and yet there's the absolute at the same time. So so you actually start with the absolute, <laughs> and that's and the ground is the absolute, but also the result is the absolute. So the ground and the beginning and the end are the same. They're both the absolute, um, but but at the same. So but you go through these stages with that view, but you still have to go through these stages. There's sort of a paradox there. Yeah. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. You still, you can't, you can't get like, so again, I'll relate it back just because this is just, I mean, how I, how I try to structure my own path, my own thinking path is the way Hegel talks about absolute knowledge is like, it's a, it, it exists in a seed form, but you can only embody the state of absolute knowledge by going through the process. Right. Yes. Like you yeah. have to go through it. 
But the next stage in Dzogchen would be that the, the absolute is already always already the case. So you, you realize once you've gone through it, that you didn't have to go through it at the beginning anyway, because it was already do, the case. Yeah, but you it, kind of do it. So you're removing the veils. <laughs> you're not you're not adding anything to reality because the absolute cannot you can't add anything to the absolute. But you're removing always removing your your veils or or, or you know or, or uh, uh, between between yourself and 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 the absolute. Does this make sense to you? Because like the I think the way Hegel would frame it is that the absolute always already exists as a virtuality, but in order to be an actuality, you have to go through it. Um, not quite, because because well, yeah. that's also a Gebserian way of thinking about yeah. these things. Not, not um, that you condense it, that you condense because there's no you, you to know, go through it like fundamentally, moment. right? Mm. And every but everything is there in in, in virtuality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, because I don't think it is. It, I, I I think you know the seed to to the um uh to the the big tree metaphor, right? Um, is is uh. That that's still within the realm of step stages and steps and, and and whatever, but 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 the singularity is 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 beyond the seed and and the and the and the and the tree, because the tree is also part of the entire thing. So th there's there is no you to go through these stages, and that's what you realize. And there's no stages either, and that's what you realize. I mean, I'm just parroting the words of Zochin because I haven't realized this. But you know, uh, this is just like this is just like theoretical Buddhism. But but uh, but um, I, I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know if if I think this this idea of of, of linearity um, is, is completely subverted at, at one point. I think like the the way the way I think about it is that is like it's more, and this is like so just building on the way bard would talk about it i guess in my own way is like there's an original circularity in terms of like the repetition of the same mm -hmm. um so like uh the year is the same year every you know the the summer is the same summer you know like in 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 like um pre-modern uh neolithic culture it's like we, we, we have the summer solstice, we have the winter solstice. Uh, every summer solstice and every winter solstice is the same. Uh, and we'll position, our, position our, our, our temples so that the sun will shine through at just the right angle and, and create an inner effect in our domes. <laughs> but inside that world, there's the belief in this repetition of the same that will just go on forever. So the line, but but the the, the Zochin state is beyond any kind of repetition. It's total spontaneity. Okay, but I think we have to. I I think I I do think that we have to work work through. I like this is my bias. We have to work through this dialectically because yeah. we're Cadell and Andrew and Tom. Like as sure. long as we're Cadell, Andrew, and Tom, like I feel like we should work through it dialectically because otherwise mm -hmm. we might as well just not say anything. Right. <laughs> Okay, but, so you mean I'm jumping? I'm jumping to the I'm jumping too far ahead be, before we've we've actually been able to which is, ela which, elaborate on the in the whole on the whole process. Uh, which is oh, to, which okay. is to me which is to me the premature ejaculation. Like <laughs> let's 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 in, let's enjoy the process. <laughs> let's 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 get let's go slow with a massage. Sure. 
<laughs> fantastic, fantastic. But so, like, you have this circle. Like, that I'll I'll try to speed it up. So you have this. I that's the circular world, and like I like that Bard says uh, in the world of women, like. Uh, like they remember birthdays and Christmas yeah. and stuff like that. Like I, I, there are so many women in my family who are like, like they, they just remember every birthday and like, it's like, like that's how like the world, but like we need that, right? Like that's how like the world is organized by these circles, like as a base level functioning, like, you know, mm-hmm. you know, breakfast is important. And like, you know, when, my, when I was growing up, my mom, you know, had breakfast, at, you know, and we had that circle every morning. Um, but then you have the line. And, and the line is something that points towards something different, like that the world could be different than this circular repetition. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the line emerges out of, out of the circle and, and it's pointing towards something other. It's pointing that, yes, there's this circular repetition of the same, but there's also this, it's basically saying that the circle is not perfect. It's basically saying that there's a gap in the circle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, how I interpret this is that the circle is the original mother and the gap in the circle is the missing father. So that's where the line. Are you on purpose sexually now or what? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm because, sort of... you're, because like you're talking about the circle and the gap and yeah, <laughs> but, but the, the line, I, you know, mm-hmm. to, well, to me, to, well, like, so to me, I get some, some, sometimes I get frustrated by, the ideology of contemporary um, science when they talk about idi- uh, embodiment. Right. Because these people aren't talking about embodiment. They're not talking about the body. Like, and, and as soon as you bring in sexual metaphors and as soon as you talk about actual sexuality, they all get all triggered. So like, but at the same time, they're like, oh, we have to think about embodiment and we have to, but like, as soon as you actually talk about embodiment, they get triggered. Yeah, yeah. Because they want to keep everything nice and refined and spiritual yeah. and, and <laughs> to me, I'm, to me, yeah. I'm to me, I'm actually thinking philosophically in a, an intimate libidinal environment. Like I'm thinking about my family home. I'm thinking about the intimacy that you have with, you know, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, an actual intimate environment. Right. So. There's a gap in this. I'm just saying there's a gap in the circle where that's where the line comes. And like, yes, this does reflect sexual geometry because it's very close to the body. And that's how we reproduce ourselves with these bodily motions. But it also has a, a reality and always already has a reality on the level of the signifier. So like I'm signifying these things not merely acting them out with my body. So, so the line pointing to something different is I think how we should understand the patriarchy first grounded with religion and second grounded with science as pointing to somewhere <laughs> like over, over there's other, there's an other place. I mean, the whole thing is a, is a fractal, you know, yeah. and yeah. you can't really detach philosophy from biology, from temperament, from, no. you know, no. it's all, you know, I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's all connected. I agree. It's all connected, but I'm actually trying to think in such a way as that it's all connected. Whereas when I'm, whereas when I see sometimes scientists talking about embodiment, 
is that they're only thinking about it in the level of representation, right. but they're not actually embodying that new thinking. Mm-hmm. So like, so like, so the line is like the religious or the scientific pointing somewhere. Like, for example, like, for example, there are, I mean, like I can just describe like concrete life processes. So like, for example, someone like Peter Higgs, his life, like Peter Higgs, who, who first theorized the Higgs particle. Mm-hmm. And then he organized his entire life pointing towards the Higgs. And, and, and like, and, and like let's, let's get the energy and let's get the organization to find the Higgs. Like it's an other reality. It, we don't know about it yet. Right. So, but this, this type of pointing and this type of going towards something other this organizes, I think, the emergence of masculinity. This is the phallus. Of course. Yeah. Well, this is great. Yeah. I, I think you're pointing to something very important. And, you know, can I, can I, use, can I use my own, like, little language here for a second? Like, my little yeah, my sure, tant- sure. Tantric, tantric language? Okay. In, in, the, in, the tantric, in the inner tantras, there's, some, there's a white dot up here, and that's the masculinity. And there's a red dot down here. And that's the femininity. And it's, you could also think of it as the sun and the moon. So this is the lunar and the masculinity is actually lunar, not, ma- not, 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 so not, it's not the sun in, in this tradition because the ma- masculinity is cold. Um, it's cold like the moon until it, until it, it until it, uh, it, it, what happens is, is the, is the, the sulfur blazes up or, or the, the red drop blazes up and, and they have to meet here. Otherwise, the masculine remains in this abstract, intellectual, cold, frozen world, right? Where he's just in this directive thing, and he's completely detached from the red drop. And the red drop is 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 the feminine. And if the feminine is just blazing here by and and, and can't even, so so often this happens to intellectuals and scientists and, and people like that is they they remain in this directive kind of mode um, because there's a sacrifice that needs to be made for the red drop to meet, 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 meet the, 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 the white drop. Um, and usually, you know, in metaphor, it's in, in the heart, but um, the body has to meet the mind or, or, but, but, when, but, it, it, but they're always short of the red drop is, and the white drop are always kind of detaching from each other and then chasing each other. And they're running around and they're kind of like this. And the whole world is like one singularity, but, but they're they they have this perception of, detachment and uh and and so one one the white the lunar quality is 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 detached and and the 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 solar quality is just blazing and on fire but never that's when the masculine and feminine don't don't meet so the the tantric this is mythopoetic right but the tantric practice is 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 so that this cold hard masculine um um, conceptual overly conceptual realm uh, melts you know because of the heat of the feminine and then creativity can happen the child of creativity can happen does that does that make any sense to you all that absolutely okay yeah that all makes sense to me i do think i I, i'm just connecting it actually in my head to all the things that are going on in my world um i i think that i think what you're i think we should again use the language of pathos mythos and logos and i think that like i think the the what you're articulating is like you just said a mythopoetic description of of this of this play of energy 
Yeah, and the pathos is mythopoetic. I mean, that's they're all the whole thing is sort of mythopoetic in, in a way, isn't it? I guess there's a, yeah. there's a more you could be more technical and be more precisely philosophical about it. Well, um, I think I think yeah, I think like the, there's there's a pl- there's there's a place where these things meet at the same time. Like I I like when you were just like okay, I mean I think like if I was to describe what just happened in between your description of the red dot and the white dot and my listening to your description of the red dot and the white dot, Mm -hmm. it would be that a mythopoetic description was being articulated and I was attempting to interpret it in my, um, translate it. Yeah. yeah. I was trying to uh, translate it into my pathic experience of being Mm -hmm. and it, and it, and it, and it, and it synced. So there was a sinking between your mythopoetic description and my reflection on my pathic embodiment. Yeah. So you have a you you know because because you also have a Hegel course coming up, no? Now in January. Yeah. So there's a Hegel course that starts January 15th, where we're basically I'm going to be trying to teach the dialectical logic of the phenomenology of spirit. I also have a course called The Art of Being a Man with Owen Cox which is going to go more into the, let's say, the container, holding the container for pathic energy. Um, and if anyone wants to uh, check out my work, you can just Google Cadell Last. I have a website and a YouTube channel where we're doing uh, a return to Freud and uh, other things going on. Fantastic. Cool. So what's <laughs> happening at Parallax in the future? Uh, maybe we should also leave on that. I, I, I want to say also, I'm, I'm doing a book club that's beginning. Uh, I think it's January. It's a Sunday, January 6th or 8th, or let me just check. Anyway, I'll be, I'll be kind of, cause, cause you know, Cadell and Alexander and a lot of people uh, are, are very philosophical minded. And, and I tend to read mystical texts more, more than philosophy. And, and I want to have a deep dive into that. And so that's what I'm going to be doing. Um, uh, every Sunday, um, starting on what's the date starting on like the, the first week of January. So, uh, so, so everybody's welcome to come to that as well. So anybody's into that. Right. Andrew. Uh, 